Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Steve, good morning. Great to have you with us. How you doing? Yeah, good mor- Good morning, GBZ. Good morning, Uma. You know, when you held up the Straits Times, I thought you were. I thought you were going to hold up my recent commentary. <laughs> so. It was from yesterday, right? Uh, I, it was yesterday. I was excited. Go, I guess. Go ahead. Hold it up. It. Hold it up again. Go ahead. Oh, come right, on. Here come you on. go. Got a nice. You gave me a. You ran it with a big picture of Joe Biden and everything. So. Beautiful, beautiful. I'll, oh. I, we have our copy of the paper here. I'll, I'll find it and, and we'll hold it up for you and give you a plug. Uh, Steve, <laughs> first of all, you got a new view today. We, we're we're seeing a new a new side of the uh, the global headquarters for Steve Oaken here. Yeah, a little a little bit of a switch. So I still have the. Uh, I've gone with a longer angle. I put the. Uh, University of Virginia posters. Wanted to get them in the shot since the NCAA tournament's coming up in uh, in in the U.S. Although UVA may not make it, they're in COVID protocol. It's uh-oh. just such a crazy year. Uh oh, always something going on in the yeah. U.S. Hey, lots happening right here in Asia. And this week was um, a huge summit that we want to talk about. It was the um, the American Chambers of Commerce Asia Pacific Summit across the region, three days, uh, massive, uh, massive gathering of American businesses in the region. Tell us a little bit about that. You were taking part in it and leading some panels and things. You know, this is a, a, a program. There's about, you know, 28 AmChams across the Asia Pacific region. We usually get together every year uh, to talk about what are the emerging issues that we can address as, a, as an American business community, both kind of from the business perspective, but also the, the government and, and regulatory perspective. AmCham Singapore uh, last hosted it in 2015. We were ho- supposed to host it last year, got canceled. So we held it this year. We did uh, a hybrid event, so virtual in the morning, in person in the afternoon. And, and really, you know, the word that kept coming up over and over again was resilient. Mm. And it's, it's how businesses, how governments now need to think about resilience. It's not about, you know, diversification of, of the supply chain. It, mm. it, it, it's not about disruption. It's about uh, resilience, which incorporates all of that and goes beyond. So really a fascinating three days. You know, one of your favorite, in fact, I think your favorite uh, radio host actually uh, in 2015 was the MC for that three-day conference um, that AmCham did. Uh, and as as I was MCing that uh, three years ago, you know, and, and I, I just want to say, and, yeah, I was just saying, Uma did such a great job. Back <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Okay, so my my little attempt to pat myself on the back, I ended up breaking my arm instead of having it work. Okay, that's the way it goes. Uh, but but three three years ago, or t- twenty fifteen, actually, even more than th- three years ago, uh, at, at that massive gathering. It was all about uh, trade and bilateral agreements and and TPP and, you know, all of those discussions were so important then. And now we've we've kind of shifted away from that uh, quite a bit, right? Uh, Especially in light of the past year or so. Resilience, what does that resilience actually mean that you were that that was being discussed this week? Well, I would say two things. What Glenn, you did do a, a really seriously did a great job. Back that, <laughs> that last that we You're not obligated to say that. Stop Steve. it, Steve. <laughs> that is true. True. By the way, I'm being told that this it segment's being canceled, so we may have to move on to a song right now. Gladys Knight and the Pips coming up for you right here on Money FM. <laughs> no, but you're right. 2015, it was all about you know, you know, bringing the U.S. and like-minded. 
partners together to do architecture for trade. Yeah. And, you know, the impacts of globalization, the impacts of automation, the, you know, Donald Trump really highlighting um, the inequality and take action that, that has arisen from that means we have to go in, into a different direction now. And, and so a lot of what we talked about was resilience is now being about the digital economy, right? And, you know, it used to be you'd think about digital trade and you think, well, how would it affect, you know, Google and, you know, your good friends at Facebook, Glenn, and WhatsApp. Um, and now digital is everything, right? It's, you talk, you put, te- you know, you put tech on everything. It's FinTech, it's mm. AgTech, it's egg, you know, uh, EdTech, it's health tech. Beauty tech. And, and digital is now all, everything <laughs> is about technology. And so how are we now going to be resilient, taking technology into account? One of the things we talked about was getting a digital trade agreement, and maybe that could be a pathway back to the United States. It's certainly something, you know, the Deputy Prime Minister, Hengs Kit when he met with us at the digital at the at the summit talked about as well. So that I, I think resilience digital would probably be the, the two key words and it affects business and it affects government. You're a, a, on the board, a board of uh, on the board of governors for AmCham Singapore. When, when you look at the result of this uh, three day summit, was there any kind of a manifesto or any kind of, a, you know, marching orders that was, commonly agreed upon other than what you've just mentioned about looking at digital and looking at resilience, anything formal come out of it that would be presented either back to the U S government or to governments around the region? Actually. So, so the AmChams are run by committees. We have, uh, uh, had 13 point of view papers from these committees uh, to come through about how really there were three thematics, how businesses could help businesses get through the pandemic, how businesses could help government so that they understand what's happening. And then as government regulates us, uh, they could do so better. And then how governments can help us. One thing we talked about business to business was this now right uh, to disconnect, mm. um, which I did not realize existed. Mm. And that, right, so you are now 24-7 with, you know, obviously with Zoom and WhatsApp and WeChat and Slack and Teams and everything else. You're, you're never getting away from your computer. And so businesses have to give their employees the right to disconnect. Well, how do you do that? How can we learn from one another? Yeah. So we talked about in these papers that are going to come out, you know, the right to disconnect. Another mm. thing that came out was telemedicine, Right. In that you've seen so much acceleration, you know, businesses have gotten, you know, just implemented things that the governments haven't regulated yet. So now government's going to catch up, but government has to catch up in a smart way. How do you regulate, for example, telemedicine? So you keep all of those advantages, but you need to do so in a way that doesn't exacerbate all of the inequality that exists. So those things we talked about, well, we drafted papers, we'll come out with them. And then as U.S. government officials come out, as we meet with Singapore government officials, as other AmChams meet with other officials, we'll share those papers. And so it'll really be a living conference, not one that just ended on, on Thursday. Yeah, right. hopefully. All right, let's talk about, we've been talking about digital and, and the heart of your op-ed piece in yesterday's Straits Times was about the digital solution to America's trade comeback. And what does that what does that actually mean? Because the U.S. ASEAN Business Council and the Asia Society, they are they are talking about sectoral approaches to trade and digital trade challenges and and people talking about that across policymakers across the region. So put this all in perspective for us. Well, you you see such a, a rising need to protect workers. You see that all over the world. You see that in the United States. You see it in Singapore, you see it in, you know, in, in countries everywhere. So the question is, how can you move 
forward on trade? How can you ensure that you get the benefits of, of global trade while recognizing you have to have worker centric uh, trade policies? And, and the pathway to start instead of doing a, you know, instead of having the United States come back to the, the, the TPP or now the CPTPP, which is a, you know, a regional comprehensive trade agreement that covers everything, mm. start where you need the most regulation, where you can get the most benefit that cuts across the most sectors. And digital is that is that stepping stone. How are we going to make sure we take advantage of of AI and blockchain and machine learning and all of those things that are not just in the realm of, you know, Google and Microsoft and, you know, uh, payments companies like Visa or, or Stripe. You know, or PayPal, but it now cuts across all businesses. So let's try and do a sectoral approach. Let's keep it focused. It's something that the United States might be able to do without having to go for congressional approval. Um, if it's, for example, just an expansion of the existing U.S.-Singapore free trade agreement. Um, so that could be the, the way to go forward. And, and so, you know, kind of the trade world is seeing this as an opportunity. The new U.S. trade representative should become into office, Catherine Tai, next week. So we got to give it time, and but let's see if, if this can't be the stepping stone. Hmm. That was really interesting, Steve. What you're talking about because AI and you know all this blockchain technology and how businesses are are taking advantage of that. That's something I really read about and am quite mm -hmm. interested in. Is there anything concrete like that, that you could maybe share with us at this time um, in, in terms of AI and blockchain, you know, moving away from, from Google and Facebook and all that? Uh, what are the th steps that we are looking at that can be put in place? Mm. Well, so, I mean, you could take like a simple thing like logistics, right? And, and how, you know, or anything with regards to the supply chain. How can you ensure um, that, you know, the if you want to talk about responsible sourcing, how can you sh ensure that the palm oil that you've sourced um, from Indonesia or Malaysia was, uh, you know, responsibly sourced um, and that didn't contribute to climate change, didn't involve forced labor um, in the supply chain? And then and, and when you have a commodity like palm oil, like, you know, cocoa, uh, anything along those lines, cotton. You know, how are you going to trace that throughout the entire supply chain um, from a customs perspective? Uh, ensure that it wasn't illegally sourced so it's not sanctionable. Blockchain, it could be the solution um, to some of that. But how do you fit that into into trade is 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 very difficult. And so that's what is, is just one example of where blockchain is not Bitcoin. Right? But, but it's yeah. it's also, you know, and it gets to, to, to the privacy of the records. So, so you, you don't get hacked. How do you know when you have all these sensitive, uh, you know, medical data that's yours that's going across, you know, across borders uh, digitally? How is that going to be protected? How is your privacy going to be insured? All of that gets wrapped up into digital trade. Much to discuss on that. Let's move on, Steve. Uh, one of the stories making a lot of waves on the U.S. media scene is the, the constant and increasing calls uh, for the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, to step down amid sexual harassment allegations. And they've been piling on over the past couple of weeks, really causing a problem for the Democratic Party because he was one of the shining stars in the Democratic political uh, establishment. Where are we at with that? Do we think he's going to eventually succumb to pressure? Well, you know, in the in the Me Too era, I think we we've gotten the 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 rules correct on what happens when someone brings forth, you know, an accusation. And the answer is, 
you know, you 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 listen to them, you treat it as credible, and you investigate it, and and you you know you you don't attack right the accuser, which is what had happened hmm. um, in the past. So you basically have the rules of the road for for somebody who brings an accusation. What we don't have yet is what happens to the accused, right? So Andrew Cuomo, you know, is saying. Look, I, you know, I need a, I, I get due process. I, these, I do not believe these charges are true. I, I, I have called for an investigation by the, you know, Attorney General of New York. Um, there's an, an impeachment process going on in the in the House um, in New York State, and says let that process play out, and then you can judge me. But at the same time, while you know Cuomo is arguing for due process, you've got. 29 members of the New York congressional delegation, including both senators, calling on him to resign. Mm-hmm. You have the majority of the New York legislature calling on him to resign, um, saying you don't get due process. You know, there's there's you know enough smoke on the harassment, and there's an allegation, anonymous, but an allegation of sexual assault going way beyond harassment that you need to resign. Um, and so that is part of what's playing out is what is the way to handle an allegation in Me Too? The other thing that's playing out for the Democrats is, you know, we take our, we take, you know, should we be forcing people to resign um, without any due process? But look what happens when you get allegations against Donald Trump. Nothing, mm. right? Nothing happens. So, so should the Democrats be treating ourselves differently than the Republicans are treating themselves? That's a debate the Democrats are having. So both of those are playing out right now. Unclear if, 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 if Governor Cuomo can... Um, withstand the calls for resignation. He's been adamant that he will so far. And he says, let the investigations happen and see. Then you can decide what to do that before. It's really a problem. We saw over the years that when sometimes very popular Democratic uh, politicians like Al Franken from uh, Minnesota are accused, they have immediately stepped down without any uh, sort of uh, you know discussion about what the actual charges were, the credibility and, and all that, and the democratic establishment has set a bar very high for these issues uh, a, basically a no tolerance bar whatsoever. so the minute even a, a hint of an accusation is brought up, the person basically has been you know stepping down uh, but you 're saying i mean cuomo is is pushing back on this right he 's saying no let's let 's talk about it. But as you're as you're mentioning, people in his own state are saying, no, we don't want to talk about it. We just want you out. Is that a, is that leaning toward more political elements of, of people that don't like him and want him out? Or what is the perception? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, Andrew Cuomo is not very well liked. Uh, he's not well liked by uh, people in his own party. He is he is he has a reputation for, for being a bully. Um, and it's a pretty well deserved reputation from everything. You read, and so he has no friends to really, you know, have his back on this um, in the media, in in the in in Washington, in Albany, in New York City, and so he's kind of out there alone. But there are a lot of people in the state, you know, who are saying, "Let's see, let's get an investigation. Let's see what happened. Let's have an impartial investigation before we force him to resign, because we think he's done a pretty good job as governor, and he shouldn't have to resign." until the facts are proven against it. Um, and then he can decide whether to resign or whether he should be impeached and removed from office if he refuses to do so. So you see some, some public opinion shifting towards 
letting not in his favor, but in in the process's favor. And yeah. I think it's been at best, you know, a toss up right now whether or not he can survive um, throughout the investigations. Yeah. A distraction surely the Democrats do not want to have right now mm-hmm. as they're trying to push forward a lot of things, uh, including those uh, the New York State um, uh, uh, case against Donald Trump, which they're trying to push forward on that as well. All right. Let's uh, our final topic today is the so-called quad meeting that happened, a virtual meeting that happened on uh, the 12th on Thursday, a virtual meeting summit between Australia, India, Japan, and the U.S. And the outcome of that, uh, talking about the U.S. re-re-re-engagement in the Indo-Pacific, uh, what, how, how did that go? Well, you know, my, my friend wrote this. I can't take credit for it. My friend wrote this but said that the, like, the quad can work because it is a functional it's a functional coming together to get things done as opposed to, and I'll quote him, all the mostly useless Asian institutions because they are all process. <laughs> so, uh, names so when, when not, they, names not to be revealed, is, <laughs> which ones he's talking right, about. Right. <laughs> right. But what the, what the quad is, okay, what projects do we have and let's get those projects done. Right. And this really kind of came out of the tsunami response in 2004. Hmm. Right. Where it said we've got to help, especially, you know, in, in, in Aceh and, and the like. And, and so Australia, India, U.S., Japan, well, all, all pitch in and, and, you know, really did a good job in terms of of relief. And so it's a mil- it, you know, some of this is military um, and that's where it was born from in the Trump administration. But now the next is the four countries getting together and saying, how can we help on vaccines? How can we get together and we can get India to manufacture more vaccines for Asia? You know, the U.S. and Japan can finance it and Australia can help out on on the logistics. So, again, it's functional. Right. How can we get the four to work together on projects? And so vaccines is is one of the functions. Climate change is one of the functions. Cybersecurity is one of those functions. Mm -hmm. And then it has the diplomatic element to it because you see that. You know, the, the U.S. government said we are only going to meet with the Quad first and then we will meet with China because we are going to talk about how the four of us are aligned when it comes to China uh, as a competitor and how the four of us can work together to outcompete uh, China. So the meeting with the U.S. and China and Alaska coming up only happened after uh, the quad met. So there is some optimism because of the functionality of it, because the, the direction of coming together to compete on discrete issues where where you can compete with China, that this could be a, an effective tool of, of foreign policy. Wow. Yet another grouping. OK, we'll see if this one can, can uh, do something as useful because uh, there's been a lot of talk. There's always a lot of talk, but little action that happens on certain issues. So we'll hope that's uh, that that works out a little bit better. Uh, Steve Ogan, thanks so much for being with us today, and look forward to uh, seeing you again next Sunday. See you, see you next Sunday. Good to meet you, Uma. <laughs> Good to meet you too, Steve. Bye. <laughs> thanks, Steve. International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.